if you really take an inventory of your day, your mindset, your weeks, your months, your years, and your level of stress and your level of contentedness, we could probably improve all of those dramatically by identifying, you know what, this is really my sweet spot. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Welcome to the next episode of the Better Life podcast. Sitting in the studios here in Denver, Colorado with Rob Alkema again. What up? Good to be back. It's weird. This time, we're not actually in the speakeasy, which is what we call our studio. It's actually 9.17 on a brisk Colorado morning. So we're sipping coffee this morning. This is our first coffee podcast. Yeah, it's strange, but good. I'm happy to be doing this in the morning. Yeah, if nobody listens to this one, we're never doing this again. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't get some shout outs, then we're just going to go straight back to what works, which is bourbon at 10 o'clock at night recording (laughs) podcasts. Hey, this morning, we're actually going to be talking about agent archetypes which you probably have never heard that term before. This term was crafted and what we're going to be talking about today, the whole thing was actually crafted by T360 Consulting. So huge shout out to T360. We're regurgitating. We're sharing with you what we've learned from T360. And in particular, the Fellows Program, which is an amazing executive coaching program that really kind of accelerates your success, makes things simple and clear on what steps to take and what steps not to take. So Highly recommend you check out T360 as well as the Fellows Program. If you want to direct contact to Dean Catrill, runs that organization, does an amazing job at it, and I can get you connected directly if you are interested. So big shout out to them as we dive into agent archetypes. One last thing with T360, even if you're not doing the coaching program, at a bare minimum, you've been a huge fan for years of the Swanapool Trends Report. Huge. And so that's something you can pick up each year for couple hundred bucks. It's a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. They cover the top 10 main trends in real estate, everything from technology to organizational structure change to the MLS lawsuits right now and everything else that's happening. It's an amazing read, probably worth triple what you pay for it. So highly recommend if you're a practicing and professional and full-time and you need to stay on top of the industry, it's definitely the best way to do it. So let's get into these archetypes. Let's do it. As we dive into this, for you as the listeners, agent archetypes are similar to personality types. So if any of you are familiar with the Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or voice order, any of those personality types, you could think of agent archetypes very similarly to personality types where you're going to find that there's no one spot that is an absolute clear, yep, that's what I am. But you're going to be drawn to one similar to personality types where you go, yep, that actually makes sense. And one of my mentors actually through the years told me that personality types can be constricting in a way because it feels like you're being put in a box. And instead, he said, it's actually better to think of personality types as the starting point of the conversation, not the ending point of the conversation. Yep. So highly utilitarian just to make sense of yourself and to understand yourself a little bit more deeply. But as soon as someone says, I'm an Enneagram type eight, and that explains everything, that's not true. <laughs> right. So similarly, Rob and I think that agent archetypes are utilitarian in that they can be the beginning of the conversation and you're going to find yourself existing in a little bit of all of them. Yeah, but the main reason we wanted to do this episode today, you know, we usually try to start with like, hey, why are we doing this and what do we want people to take away? Mm. 
this will make a lot of you laugh because you may find yourself in this boat or you certainly have before. In the real estate world, there is this tendency to have all of this outside noise of here's all these things you should be doing yeah. to generate business or to grow your business. And it is exhausting. I think people feel a lot of shame, frustration, anxiety, fill in the blank with other negative emotions because they're doing certain activities on a consistent basis but they're painfully aware of all the things that are being left out because they're looking at social media. They're listening mm. to their friends at other brokerages. They're listening to mm. Tom Ferry or Brian Buffini or John Sheplack or Dale Archdeacon or whoever, yeah. right? And there's all these different things you can do to generate business back to our first couple episodes where we talk about strangers versus sphere. But the reality is, is like Dave said, well, nobody's like, well, I'm just this and it is what it is. All of us are typically stronger in one of these four areas than we are the other ones. And so the goal for today is to help people get simplicity and clarity and start shutting out a lot of the noise of all the good things that they could be doing, but those really aren't the highest and best use of their time, what we would call their better life. Your better life probably exists in this place where you are largely doing activities on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis that are right in the sweet spot of your primary archetype. Yeah, it's the vision of waking up in the morning at peace. Imagine that in real estate, you're fully at peace, knowing what you're really good at, what you're not so great at, and the activities tied to that that you should be focusing on. Not that we can just forego all the other activities that we're going to talk about. But like Rob said, it's that idea of just simple, clear, peaceful approach to real estate, knowing and believing that it will work eventually. It doesn't always work immediately. But when you're operating in your sweet spot and when you're operating in your zone, that's an amazing thing. And to be able to filter out and shut out all the noise, as you called it, it would be a gift, I think, to a lot of people. Right. So let's jump in. Think of if you have the visual in your mind, it's a quadrant and there's four. There's four archetypes. This is like an MLM scheme where we're sitting down and it's like, <laughs> hey, take out a napkin, draw a plus yeah. sign. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is two. Just get two. <laughs> yeah, so it is. It's a plus sign. No, but and seriously, grab a napkin and draw yeah, a plus draw sign. sign right? Put this on a piece of paper. Upper left-hand quadrant is the prospector. And then to the right of that would be the networker. And then lower left is going to be the converter. And then lower right next to that will be the marketer. So those are the four. You got prospector, networker, converter, marketer. I'm just going to give you guys a quick overview of each one. Write these notes down in each one of those areas of your plus sign on your piece of paper. So the prospector, here are the key practices for the prospector. They wake up in the morning thinking about cold calling is really the theme there. So think of expireds. Think of for sale by owners. Think of lists that this individual might have purchased even. Yep, door knocking. Door knocking for sure. Yep, it's engaging in people that you definitely do not know. They're not in your sphere. They're not in your world. They're not in your sphere of influence in any fashion. So prospecting habits, phone skills, appointment setting skills, and certainly a ton of organization for follow-up. Because in this process, there's going to be people at different stages. Maybe you've talked to them once. Maybe they're just in the very beginnings of hearing from you. Maybe they're further along. But staying highly, highly, highly organized and having a rhythm where the prospector kind of, for lack of a better way to say it, has to put their brain on a shelf and just don't worry about responses from people. Don't worry about rejection. Don't worry about what people might say or think of you. And just almost like an automaton, just smile, dial, keep going, keep going, keep going. Repetitive, set goals for the day. 
150 phone calls, 250 phone calls, whatever it is, and looking at it and going, yeah, my goal for today is to set X amount of appointments. Yeah, and if I can add this, let's just go through these together. When you talk about what a prospector needs in Mm -hmm. terms of resources, they need, like you just talked about, a data system of some sort. So expireds, FISBOs, a neighborhood that they're going to knock in, a call list. But then they also need a CRM and some sort of follow-up system to keep them organized. Yep. They need a direct mail campaign, yep. a conversion-oriented website that they can direct potential clients to. Mm-hmm. They need testimonials, reviews, and proof of results. And they need a phone and maybe an auto-dialer. Yeah. For those users who are using Sierra Interactive or Follow-Up Boss, they have dialers where you just click go and it starts dialing numbers and you just put a headset on and you've got a mic, kind of like our setup here. (laughs) (laughs) You're just talking to whoever picks up the phone. You can even pre-record your voicemails. Yeah. So if you get somebody's voicemail, just auto leaves it and you move on to the next call. Automatically moves on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. That's a little bit about the prospector, both key practices as well as what they need. Sounds terrible. (laughs) <laughs> which is which is funny because this is both how we got our starts in sales not in real estate right but. <laughs> i was just about to say knocking on doors spent six years going door to door selling books so <laughs> we can get into that on a different episode that was, You're like crm you just needed a piece of paper yeah, i don't even know what that stood for just if you had a notebook and a clipboard you were good <laughs> You're good to go it's my crm yeah so that is where we started it's funny That's the prospector, okay? So that's the first agent archetype. Let's go to the next one. The next one is the networker. And the key practices for the networker are, imagine this, networking. (laughs) But let's dive into that a little bit. That means being highly intentional about being involved, being visible, being available. This is the person that is an expert relationship builder, has a ton of community involvement, So you're going to all the HOA meetings, you're going to the church meetings, you're going to the bowling league meetings, you're going to the Lions Club meetings, you're probably a member of the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And you go to all those events and you show up, not begrudgingly, but you're pumped, you're excited, you're ready to be there, you're ready to swap business cards, make notes on people, understand what other people are doing, give to get. All of those types of approaches are really, really big with the networker. And then of course, staying in touch also with your sphere of influence is paramount for this. And so these are the people that are really good at just calling people out of the blue every single day and going, hey, I'm just genuinely thinking about you and wanted to catch up because you and I haven't talked in two months. Yeah, I think this one is like the most obvious one. You know when somebody is in this one, they're charismatic, they typically have the gift of gab, Mm -hmm. they're charming, they're funny, they're engaging, they're on their phone constantly, they know everybody, they have a guy for everything. (laughs) I got a guy for that or a girl. This is your classic, it's not what you know, it's who you know right. kind of person. 100%. So. I think just to throw this out, one of the dangers with the networker is that we could all sit here and go, yeah, I think that's kind of me. I mean, if you're in real estate, you're probably some of those things. You're probably charismatic and fun to talk to and everything. But I think that the star that you could put on this one, if you're listening and taking notes, is intentionality. Yes. Because it's not just, oh, yeah, I identify as the life of the party too. And just, I have a lot of friends and I went to high school here. It's no, it's more of intentionality. There's an engineering behind it that is genius when you see it. And when you talk to people who are actually building huge businesses off of networking, they're not doing it haphazardly. Yes. I like that word intentional. Some of the key tools and systems that a networker needs. Again, they do need a basic CRM. They need some sort of basic email marketing or touch system to keep in touch with people because they have a huge network. They need a business card website or a basic brand website. I remember this is really clever. One of the things you said is, you know, if you're engaged in any sort of networking, you should have a website that's your name. 
Yes. DaveNest.com or RobElkema.com. And you actually showed me a guy that you follow that has like his own personal branded website. Yep. Uh, I can't remember his name. Mike something. Mike Dillard. There you go. Yeah. Yep. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is next level once you pulled up that website. Social media presence and time and friends. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to network if you don't know anybody. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's interesting. It talks about networkers don't need a lot of tech to be successful and they should stay away from more complex systems and tools that keep them from doing what they do best, which is networking. Yeah, just hanging out with people. And a quick highlight, because we just hit the prospector a second ago, and Rob mentioned in the prospector world, you need a conversion-oriented website. Just to juxtapose those two, the conversion-oriented website versus the quasi-business card website. What Rob's talking about there is in the networker world, your website needs to be two to three pages big. I mean, it's nothing. It's you on the front page and talking about your business and maybe sharing a little bit about your family. It really promotes you. And then there's a contact me page and then maybe one other page that you post some videos on or whatever. It's no big deal. Versus the prospector, which is a conversion-oriented website, you're probably not going to build that yourself. You're probably going to pay 10, 15 grand for that. And it's much heavier on product info, company info, yes, things that are designed to build trust, credibility, competence. Yep, because they're people you don't know. Exactly. Very different. Good distinction there. Yep, for sure. Okay, those are the top two on the top of the square is the prospector and the networker. And then going around kind of clockwise, we'll talk about the marketer at this point. I'm going to pause here because if you're listening, you're probably going to identify as a marketer and I'm here to tell you you're not. <laughs> just, let me just stop the bus right here real quick. Most people I think that get into real estate are thinking one of two things. Yeah, I'm either a networker or a marketer. But Dave, I have a TikTok page and I'm on it all the time. What do you mean I'm not a marketer? I love Facebook. What are you talking about? Mark Zuckerberg loves that you love Facebook, but you're not a marketer. <laughs> this is a dangerous one because I think that with the tools that are available to all of us today and with the amount of tech that we have at our fingertips and with the cool stuff that you can do, let's face it, on TikTok and on Instagram and on Facebook, there's some cool things you can do and you don't have to be deep into the tech world in order to be able to do it. However, those things usually 99% of the time do not qualify you to identify as a marketer in the agent archetypes. That's right. Here are the key practices. We'll unpack it a little bit. Half joking, half not here. But the first one is you want to develop an expert knowledge about something. So Mike Dillard, the gentleman that Rob mentioned earlier, if you were to visit his site, you're going to find out really quickly that within 10 seconds of being on his site, you're going to go, this guy is an expert. Developing expert knowledge and being able to portray it digitally is kind of the essence of being a marketer. Yeah, and I think the key word you said is niche. Very niche. You have to find a niche if you're going to be effective. Yeah, it's not, I'm a top producer, not a niche. Right. It's not, I've sold 100 homes this year. That's not a niche either. Nope. Your niche in real estate would be things like, I am unbelievably good at working with investors, or I'm unbelievably good at working with investors who specifically do fix and flips, or I specifically do horse ranches. Or I only do mountain homes in these several counties in Colorado. I only work with price points above 2 million. Whatever your niche is, your niche could be first-time homebuyers. Like Mm -hmm. there's lots of different niches, but it's like the more specialized you can be, the more expert you are, then probably the more effective you're going to be at marketing because all your marketing is built around talking to that audience. Yes. Specifically. Which means you're not talking 
to people outside of that audience. Yeah, you're not casting a wide net. Yeah, I think that's where people get tripped up is my niche is first-time homebuyers, but I'll still work with experience. And you're like, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're confusing the audience at that point. Like you have to be so unbelievably niched or specific that when your people hear your voice, they immediately say, yes. And the people that hear your voice that are not in that group say, no. It's that simple. It's yeah. like you want your audience, your people to say, hell yes. And you want people outside of your audience to say, hell no. Most agents are like, well, you know, I wouldn't ever want to turn down business. Well, being a marketer means that you're going to turn down business. You're going to miss out on business yep. with that. So that's a really key piece. So, and then you're building an identity or a brand, which takes a hell of a lot of work to do that and actually develop that and have consistent messaging and consistent feel. The images have to correspond to what it is you're trying to portray, your intent, or if you're a company, your mission, vision really, really matters in the marketing sense with this archetype. And so building that out, more than likely, you're not going to do that on your own. <laughs> I'm a walking example of thinking that I was a marketer with the company, with Thrive Real Estate Group that we sit in today. And I thought, yeah, the marketing's pretty good, right? And then we got the beloved Tracy on board. And I quickly found out within about a week after she joined that we didn't have a brand, we didn't have a voice, and I'm not a marketer. <laughs> So now I'm clear. And she's only been here 10 months. So it's amazing. And then messaging to your audience. We talked a little bit about that being crystal clear so that when they hear your voice, they respond. And then developing campaigns to reach your audience. And these, when I say campaigns, I do not mean, oh yeah, I have a campaign too. I use MailChimp or Constant Contact and we send out an email every other week. That's not a campaign. That's called spam. Campaigns are that which you A-B test. And it gets very, very forensic where you're A-B testing what if I capitalize this word and then leave these words over here, not bold? And it gets very, very scientific and very, very forensic. Yep. And so professional marketers, they know all that and they know how to A-B test and figure out very quickly what's working, what's not. We're talking about clicks. We're talking about conversions. We're talking about click-through rates. We're talking about lists. We're talking about curation. We're talking about segmenting your database. Segmenting your data. Like, very, very heady kind of... It's scientific. Scientific. It's data-driven. Yes. You got to know a lot about psychology. Yes. Right? Because Huge. you got to make your message sticky yep. and effective. And compelling. Yeah. And I think that's the word that we keep coming back to because, again, there's a lot of extroverted charming, charismatic, I post all over social media mm. and I have a huge network type of people that think that they're marketers. And I, I think they underestimate how scientific true marketing really is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so just making that distinction, we're kind of tongue in cheek saying you're not a marketer, but you're not. The difference is posting on social media is something that we all do and we all can do. And it doesn't take a rocket science to do that. And you can even have some nice graphics and you know put in some visuals or whatever. That's great. We should be doing that for sure, just so that your sphere and the people that already know you are aware that you're in real estate and that are reminded that you're in real estate. Fantastic. Would definitely support that and cheer that on and applaud that and support that. But that's not the marketer. That's the big kind of takeaway on this one. And real quick, if we talk about tools and systems that a marketer needs, they need a niche or brand-oriented website. Very much so. Specifically in real estate, like a neighborhood or a specialty, they need content exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Like <laughs> right. you need a lot of content and it has to be good, poignant content. You need a CRM system with email marketing systems, drip campaigns, or incubation systems. You need offers. So that could be things like free reports, blog articles. Free consultation. Yep, marketing pieces. 
things that you can use to market. You also need lead capture tools and you need a social or local presence in whatever community you're marketing in. Yeah, exactly. Squeeze pages. That's on our list here too. The lead capture tools is a squeeze page and you can spend a good couple grand on each squeeze page. And usually if you're a professional marketer, you've got 10 to 20 of them and they've been professionally designed to capture information and to be psychologically compelling to where people say, you know what? I do want to give you my contact information because fill in the blank, because you provided a certain amount of information or value to me, or I feel connected to you or whatever it is. How about the last one? So the last one is the converter. And the converter, just in key practices, is really, really good with follow-up and responsiveness is the thought here. And think of this, just to juxtapose this to the marketer or the prospector. The marketer and the prospector are both outbound. All of those efforts are outbound. So if you're a prospector, going back to that one, you're cold calling. You're calling on for sale by owners, some of the other ones we talked about, withdrawns, expireds, things like that. In the marketer sense, you're putting digital content out and you're drawing people in. But with the converter, these are leads that you've probably paid for or your company has produced for you and they're inbound. So instead of outbound, this is an inbound. It's still cold, but it's inbound. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. still cold, but coming in rather than you reaching out. And so responsiveness is a really, really, really big deal because somebody, probably you or your company has paid a lot of money and set up a lot of systems in order to make the phone ring. And so when the phone rings or the email comes in or the text message comes in or whatever the case may be in order to contact an agent, you could imagine the importance and the criticalness of being able to respond quickly and in the moment. So it can be very inconvenient, which we talked about a lot on the first two episodes. Can I throw something in here? Yeah. This has been on my heart. You and I both know that when people are new to real estate or they're new to sales and they're working in a conversion-based environment, sometimes people take for granted the value of inbound leads. And I also get like, not all leads are created equal. You'll go to companies and they're like, oh yeah, we have leads. And their definition of a lead is pathetic, right. where we work a lot on Zillow leads. And they're the furthest down the sales funnel that you can get in the real estate industry. It's a live phone call to your phone with a client on the other end of the line wanting to schedule a showing on a specific property at a specific time, usually yeah. the same day or the next day, right. right? Like it's about as good as it gets. I think people sometimes forget if they could just pull out of the zone of what's right in front of their face right now mm. in the zone of it becoming routine to just have your phone ring sure. with a new client. Back before the Flex program got introduced with Zillow and it was all market-based pricing, what was the average cost of a lead in a good zip code in Denver? Oh, sure. We tracked it actually. It's around 1800 bucks every time the phone rang. So an advisor in this ecosystem is typically getting somewhere between 50 to 100 inbound Zillow connections. Yeah. Not calls connections. Right. You actually connected with that client. And so if you just do the math on that, that's ninety dollars to $180,000 that you didn't have to come out of pocket for. And so when I say, hey, can I interject this? I think if people thought of their leads that way, like if you're at a place where you're not paying for leads, just keep in mind that if you did have to come out of pocket for those, it would be costing you six figures plus to yeah. be able to generate those. And I think people would take a different, like more intentional level of responsiveness yeah. and follow-up and care. And engagement, yeah. And so sometimes I see people, trying to think of a nice word. <laughs> <laughs> Beep. Yeah. I see people not stewarding those with the intentionality that they should. That was very politically correct, Rob. And I am like, what the f*** are you doing? <laughs> 
There it is. <laughs> Do you realize what you have your hands on? <laughs> so anyways, continue with the converter archetype. And there's your F10. <laughs> now I'm awake, but it's true. I mean, we can dive deeper into that. So yeah, follow-up responsiveness on the converter. Phone skills, of course, and appointment setting are big. Systems and a process for follow-up. And by the way, when I say systems for follow-up, I mean sometimes over a longer period of time. Even with the down funnel people that come in, down funnel leads, no one's ready to buy a house tomorrow. It's going to be a couple months, three months, four months, whatever. They need to shop a little bit. They need to get oriented with the market. They need to get pre-qualified. They need to get their questions answered. Yeah, or sometimes and, people are looking, but they're still living in Chicago and they're sure. not going to move until the school year is up and yeah. then they're getting a job transfer, right? So it could be six, nine, 12 months. So there are some pretty hot leads that also need to be nurtured over yeah. a period of time. You got to stay in touch and stay organized in order to stay present with those people. And then measuring quality of cost per lead, which is what you were just talking about as mm-hmm. well. And this is true of Zillow. It's true of Realtor.com. It's true of pay-per-click. It's true of Google Organic, Google My Business. I mean, there's 20 different lead sources that are out there, Fast Expert, and on and on. But if you don't know the cost per lead and you're not keeping track of the financials behind this, you could actually sell a lot of real estate and not make any money. <laughs> right. So you need to be aware of that and have that on lock in the converter stage. It's interesting. One of the things T360 says here is that converters can most easily scale their business if they are effective as they can buy more when they have their system and follow-up in place. They also don't require a network of existing relationships in order to grow and as such can grow their business very quickly when done right. But the key phrases there are if they are effective and when done right. Yes. (laughs) Because like you said, You can buy the greatest leads in the world, but if you don't have effective scripts, effective follow-up systems, if your responsiveness isn't that great, no matter how good they are, if they're not followed up on effectively, they're not going to be profitable. Yes. Which, by the way, there is no silver bullet in terms of a super high quality down funnel lead that doesn't cost much out of pocket. No. That just doesn't exist. Yeah. So typically, the more down funnel it is, the more you're going to pay. The less down funnel it is, the less you're going to pay. Yeah, exactly. And the less down funnel it is, maybe a more descriptive way to say it is the less down funnel it is, the less you'll pay with your bank account, the more you'll pay with your calendar. When that lead comes in and it's top of funnel, it might've been cheap. I mean, we can create leads all day long. We could create 500 Facebook leads today, no problem. But out of those 500, there's going to be one, maybe two that are serious. And so with that, you have to think about, well, how would you find the one or two out of 200 or 500 or whatever? And you would do that with a combination of systems and people like an ISA, yeah. for example, internal sales associate. And so now you're paying somebody or some buddies, you know, a couple of people to sit and sift through those, dial them, talk to them, see who's serious, who's not, in order to find the one or two. And so there's a lot of systems involved in that. There's a lot of calendaring. There's a lot of work in order to move that to down funnel versus when you're producing down funnel leads right off the bat, you don't pay for it with your calendar. You pay for it with your wallet. Yeah, and if we can actually talk about that real quick before we wrap up, when you look at each four of these quadrants, everyone has a challenge or a pain associated with it. Yes. Right? So like right now, we're talking about the pain of the converter archetype is the amount of money or the economics that you're giving the up. The economics, well said. In order to have inbound connections coming to you. In the prospector category, you have to go through the pain of rejection. Yep. Which is just unbelievably hard and grueling. Then as a networker, you have to go through the pain of time and the pain of patience. Because first off, you have to build and grow this massive network, but then you have to sit and wait until your relationship and the moment they're ready to transact 
actually intersect. Intersect, yeah. Yep. You need to be present and available and top of mind for them when that happens, but you have very little control over that. And then the marketer, you go through the pain of expertise. Think about, you're probably not becoming an expert overnight in anything. No. Right? It's years of experience. It's a lot of study. It's a lot of time and money investment to become an expert at something and then to figure out how to leverage that expertise in an effective, meaningful way. How to promote it in a meaningful way, yeah. Yep. And so every single one of these has a pain associated with it. And so just to go back to the way we started the episode, what I often see is people think, oh, if I was just doing that over there Mm. where the grass looks really green, (laughs) everything would be better and it wouldn't be as hard as it is right now. Right. And the reality is, is that thing over there has its own pain associated with it. Well said. Right. And so rather than like jumping from thing to thing to thing or trying some shotgun approach where it's like, well, I'm going to do 12 different things and just hope that one or two of them work. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, to borrow a military term, it's just like you have to embrace the suck of whatever quadrant you've chosen and then realize that once you've identified which quadrant you're most drawn to and which one you have the most skill, you know, the most natural affinity for, the pain is lessened because there's actually a lot of parts of that quadrant that you really enjoy doing, right? And so there's rewards that outweigh a lot of the pain. I think the worst case scenario is when people are in a quadrant that they're not naturally hardwired for, and then they also have to deal with the pain. Yes. They're getting the pain, but they're not getting as much of the reward. Yeah. And then the pain is amplified because you're already frustrated because you're operating in a quadrant that you don't really want to be in to begin with. Or that you're just not well suited for. Right. We talk about personality types. You look at your personality type or your experience or your level of shyness. I'll just throw this out. If you're shy you're not going to be a converter or a prospector. Nope. <laughs> like I can tell you that right now. Nope, exactly. Uh, I think it's a certain level of honesty and clarity about thyself that has to take place in order to navigate, okay, which one of these am I actually going to pursue? I'll say this too. If you're a, an experienced agent and you're going, yeah, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I never even knew about the archetypes and I've done just fine. You probably have. That's great. However, if you really take an inventory of your day, your mindset, your weeks, your months, your years, and your level of stress and your level of contentedness, we could probably improve all of those dramatically by identifying, you know what, this is really my sweet spot. Maybe you look at it and go, but my sweet spot is the network. That's what I want, but I'm not intentional and I'm not designed and I don't have goals within that. And I don't have accountability within being a fantastic networker. Well, this is the perfect podcast to start to think about some of those things and maybe either add rocket fuel to your production or add an immense amount of peace to your days or maybe both. But one of those two can actually come out of thinking through where should I be as an experienced person and start to say no to some of these other areas. Yeah. As we bring the plane down for landing here, let me go back to something you said before we jumped on and you alluded to it actually at the beginning of the podcast. When you talk about the better life concept, there's this tendency to think, oh, the better life is doing a ton of transactions, making a ton of money and having a lot of financial freedom. That's certainly a piece of it, but that is by far not the whole picture. No. If you want to pick up a really good read, I'm reading right now the Almanac of Novel Ravikant. I hope I said that right. It's really good. But a part that I read this morning, ironically, is he talked about over time, his values changed. And early on in his life, his main core value was freedom. Mm. 
And it still is one of his top core values, but the definition of freedom has changed. And when he was younger, it was like freedom to, so use that in quotations, freedom to travel, travel, do whatever I want, buy whatever I want, go wherever I want, that kind of thing. It was freedom to do things where he said, you know, now I value tremendously freedom from things, Mm. which really you use the word peace. So it's freedom from expectations, freedom from doing things that I don't love doing, freedom from doing things that don't align with my mission and who I am as a person and how I want to make an impact so good. on the world. Yeah. And so just understand that part of this is when you find your quadrant and you can align your business plan, your activities, your mindset, and your expectations of yourself with the things that you're naturally hardwired for and that you love doing and that align with your mission and how you want to make an impact on the world, you're going to experience a lot of freedom from some of these other things that are probably tormenting you right now. Yeah, 100%. I love that. It is. It's such a money, financially driven industry. Mm-hmm. It's all about transactions, all about commissions, which at the end of the day, of well, course, it, that's why we do it. Yeah, and it's a very image driven industry. There's a lot of vanity in this industry. Extremely, not just with like what you own and what you drive and where you live, but also just how you show up to events and industry conferences and all the rest. I'll throw this out too, just as we kind of wrap up, there is a second tier of thinking with archetypes. And at Thrive, what we've done is we've picked two in order to create a business plan. One of the last episodes we did, I think it was either the last one or the one before. I think it was two episodes ago. Two episodes ago, Yeah. yeah. We talked about having a map, having a roadmap for yourself, or if you're a team leader or brokerage owner, and you're thinking, how do I leverage this within my organization? Certainly you could teach it, but the second level is you could actually create a business plan out of it. And so just briefly, because we've already done an episode in this, but I'm going to tie it back. With Thrive, what we've done is created what we refer to as the RISE program, which is Relentlessly in Search of Excellence. That's what it stands for, Relentlessly in Search of Excellence. And so within the RISE program, there's three levels. There's base camp, which is typically, not always, but typically somewhere in that zero to 36 month range. Mm -hmm. The second one is ascent, which is somewhere between like the three to five, six year range. And then summit, which is kind of six, seven years and beyond. And of course, we live in Colorado. And so base camp, ascent, summit, it's a nod to the mountains. But you could create your own. And what we've done is said, okay, within the archetypes, we're going to start people primarily in the converter archetype. That's where we're going to start them because we have an amazing relationship with both Zillow and Realtor.com. We also have just organic leads because we've been around for 15 years and they just find us online and they sign up. And so there's a lot of inbound traffic. In fact, more than we can handle right now. And so the converter archetype for us is one that we look at and go, that's going to be our tool. That's what we interview for. That's what we talk about. That's what we train on for those first 36 months. We've seen it time and time again. It's rocket fuel. Within the converter archetype, we're expecting 12 transactions within the first 12 months of someone's career. Right off the street, no experience whatsoever. Can't even spell the word realtor. They come in and they sell 12 homes. We're actually going to be celebrating two tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. that have just wrapped out their first year and one sold 14, one sold 17, all converter archetype. However, we also realized that over time, when people get into the Ascent program and then particularly in the Summit program, because they've sold so many homes in such a short period of time, we call it bending time because people are selling 50 homes, which usually would take five years if you're coming right off the street into real estate. And so... What we noticed over 15 years is that all of those clients become the network. They become the sphere. When agents talk about, or advisors at our company, we call them advisors, 
when advisors talk about their sphere, yes, there's some friends in there, but it's primarily made up of clients. It's primarily made up of past clients, people that have bought, sold, invested some multiple times, and that becomes the sphere. And so for us, the RISE program and the way the archetypes actually get leveraged in a business mapping sense is that we've chosen two to say, we're going to focus on converter so that you can move into the networker archetype elegantly and with a lot of inertia and a lot of power because the networker archetype is one that I think you could spend a lot of time on and make no money. (laughs) Right. And so there's a big danger there. Mm -hmm. That's how we've designed Thrive in a nutshell is we leverage the converter archetype in the first half of your career and the networker archetype in the second half of your career. And we've got multiple people in both that are love and life and it works really well. And so we intentionally say no to the prospector. We don't have a dialer. We don't teach on FISBOs. We don't teach on expireds. We don't teach on much of anything in the prospector realm. And then the marketer, that's all done for you at Thrive. All the marketing, all the pieces, all the content, all the SEO content, the websites, all that stuff is kind of baked in. And you get to use it within your network or as the converter. And so you get to use those tools. But that's kind of what we've said no to and what we've said yes to. I think it's been rocket fuel over the past couple of years. One last thing. It's interesting that one of the reasons we selected the converter archetype is because it is by far the most consistent and predictable of all the types. Very true. Because even if you're an amazing prospector, there's no telling where you're getting that person in their real estate journey from a timing standpoint, where as a converter, you are getting people at a specific point in the journey and they're really far along in that journey. And so it gives consistency and predictability and stability to a really inconsistent, unpredictable, unstable industry as a whole. Yeah, well said. And then the second piece as well is we've also found experientially that the converter archetype is the most widely accessible of these four types. Yes. It's the least personality dependent. There are certain intangible qualities we look for that I think make some people better converters than others. But as a whole, it's a lot easier to find somebody who can be an A-plus converter than it is to find somebody that can be A-plus in one of these others because the others are just so unbelievably specialized. Yeah, well said. Yeah, there's a lot of technical knowledge in the others that can take years to obtain. Yep. All right, bring us home here. Here are some questions for you guys as the listeners that might get you started in the right direction as you start to leverage agent archetypes. The first one is, which agent archetype is my biggest opportunity right now? Which agent archetype is my biggest opportunity right now? Why? Number two, what do I want to accomplish with that archetype? Who do you want to become? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Kind of the why behind it. What does your summit look like? What does your summit borrow the rise terminology? Yeah, 100%. And then the last one is, what resources do I need most? Or another way to ask that is, what resources do I lack if I'm going to pursue that particular agent archetype? We're talking about things like, what people do I need? What expertise do I lack that I'm going to have to get other people to partner with? If you haven't read it, you need to read who, not how, immediately, if not sooner. So people, what about technology? What about platforms? What about content? What about brand? What about logos? What about colors? Just depending on what archetype you choose, you have to make an assessment. And don't overcomplicate this. This is literally just sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen and saying, here's what I lack. Here's what I have. Here's what I need to go out and obtain. But what resources do I need most? So with those three questions, you can really get quite far down the path. Rob and I both love the archetype exercise and the thought process because in order to 
simplify and clarify and really get some peace around how you're going to do this crazy business that we call real estate. This really does boil it down. And one of the challenges that I'll leave to with the listeners is try to think of a role that doesn't fit into one of these categories. You can't do it. (laughs) Every single activity, every single type of approach to the business is going to fall under one of these four categories. And so that's the genius of it is that it really does boil it down to just four. It's not 14 or 40, it's four. (laughs) Right. Keep it simple. Right. (laughs) Dude, nice job today. Yeah, this felt good. It's funny, I drink more bourbon than I do coffee when we're doing podcasts. (laughs) Doesn't have the same clink to the glasses. (laughs) All right, guys, till next time. Cheers. 